0: Hey, everybody. It's uh, Wednesday, May 11th, 2016. I got a new watch. I got the uh, Garmin Phoenix 3 HR on a recommendation from Michael Chandler, of all people. Uh, Welcome. This is the Promotional Practice live chat. Happy you could join me today. Today, a lot to get to, man. What a wild day yesterday was, both in the announcement of fight cancellations. Um, There were some fights that were announced. But I guess the biggest news of the day, of course, it was reported by ESPN's Darren Rovell that the UFC is for sale uh, with four potential different suitors, some of them from China, some of them domestically. Goldman Sachs is actually helping the UFC, um, according to the report, uh, navigate their way through the sale. But you got UFC President Dana White telling Yahoo, um, Carmichael Dave, Las Vegas Review Journal, Uh, And then today on the Dan Patrick show, that that's not really true. Although he said it's not really true and then he kind of hedged his bets a little bit. So we'll get to all of that. We'll break that down to the best extent that we can. There's a lot of just complete lack of information. So we'll try to keep speculation to a minimum and to what extent we do speculate, we'll try to keep it informed. But but that's the plan for the day. But if you have other questions, other comments, other questions, you of course can do that on MMAfighting.com in the comments section for this post. Comments that turn green get priority but not exclusivity. So, thank you for joining. Really appreciate it. Um, Barbas is here, but he's sleeping. Like a good guy that he is. And, um, yeah, let's get this going, shall we? Without further ado. Alright, first question is... Jaw cranks. Luke, I believe we had three jaw cranks. Nelson, Kiesa, and... Sirkunov in the last two or three months, is it too soon to say that this is one form of evolution of the rear naked choke, and maybe the best one? By the way, how to defend this from this type of crank? Um, yeah, so if you saw the Monday morning unless we talked about Nelson's jaw crank. There's some other famous ones that happened not too recently, or I you know I should say relatively recently. Um, the Demian Why I won on Rick's story that made his nose bleed That was pretty bad. The Sirkunov one is interesting too because you could hear a crack um and then kiesa's obviously must have been incredible like it what the point i basically made in the monday morning analyst was it's getting harder and harder to get a full-on rear naked choke i mean if you hurt someone you can get it but if you're just sort of taking the back and trying to battle for it hand fighting it, it can be laborious and time consuming and and just a fairly low rate of success uh, rear naked choke defense has gotten really good um Obviously, we've seen famous rear naked choke finishes. I don't think they're going anywhere. You know, Holly Holm just got finished with one or lost her title as a consequence. But you get the idea. Like, really experienced grapplers are making it very hard for guys. And it's really especially true, you know, with those gloves. Those gloves really make it difficult. Um, So, the question is, uh, what's happening? Well, you're seeing a lot of guys getting their jaws wrapped um, with the choke. Guys aren't even trying to bother to go for the choke if there's if it's not really all of that readily available the jaw you can tuck but you can't really hide it you can make it difficult but you can't really hide it you can get so low that they crank around this part of the face the soft fleshy part underneath your bone but that wouldn't really hurt even on the nose guys would probably let that get broken without without um too much of a fuss and even that would be hard to break someone's nose from a rear naked choke position but the jaw it's not that hard to break given how you know if you get a strong experienced grappler And the point I tried to make in the Monday Morning Analyst was I think guys are playing with this. I mean, it's one thing to say, well, I can't get the choke. Let me slap it on the jaw and then just squeeze with all my might. And that might work. Maybe a Hulk monster like Surkunov can make that work. But a lot of guys are not going to be able to. They might have tremendous squeezes on the soft, fleshy part of your throat, but they're not going to have it necessarily right around the jaw. And I think guys like Nelson are clearly experimenting with this. They're experimenting with... Um, Okay, let's just pretend that the the real choke doesn't even exist. Let's put it around the jaw and let's see what happens. Are there other twists to it? If you go back and you watch the tape against Tumanov, he gets an... Essentially, Nelson starts here and then tilts, rotates out and around Mm -hmm. with his shoulders. And so what you wind up getting is this back and then this circular motion on uh, Tumanov's sort of neck and chin, and I wonder if that contributed to it. So the question is, what is the particular kind of application required with a rear naked choke bicep grip to make it work on the jaw? Is it just squeezing like hell? Maybe that's the case, but I just feel like that's that's probably fairly low percentage. There has to be a precise kind of way to apply that, and uh, I'm actually going to try and get Gunnar Nelson on my radio show, if not today, um, Friday, and I intend to ask him um i don't know the answer to that i'm that's my hunch because i don't i don't think it's accidental you look at the way in which uh the head moved on both story and Tumanov, it followed a similar trajectory from neutral and so i think that there's a particular kind of application to it but it's not widely known certainly i mean i don't know it so i can't i don't want to speak out of turn but um i bet there's a way but there's a particular kind of way to me this might be some of the evolution of jujitsu right like in pure jiu-jitsu, it's evolved quite a bit. I mean, you can, I mean, in gi and no gi, there's all different kinds of ways it's grown and developed and advanced. And um, some for the better, some for the worse, right? But in jiu-jitsu in MMA context, there's been a long, long process where it's just been nullified and it hasn't been grown. If, in fact, my hunch is correct, that there is a particular precise way, again, unless you're just super strong, but if there's a particular way in which you wrap the chin, that to me would be evidence of growth for MMA specific jujitsu. Can't get the neck fine? don't worry about it. Let's find a way to crank that jaw that's more than just brute force. That's a particular kind of brute force that has to be applied in a certain way to elicit uh, a tap. And I think that's what you're seeing, but I think a little more research and question uh, asking and um, some drilling uh, at least on my part anyway, is uh, required to really know. But that's my hunch. That's my hunch. What's well, the like best way to defend from this type of crank? I mean, just get re- either get really low or uh, improve your hand fighting. Beyond that, I am not sure if there is a way to do that. All right, here we go. ZUFA selling the UFC. Luke, what do you make of the UF, excuse me, of the ESPN report that Zufa really is about to sell the UFC? Also, do you believe the UFC would face drastic changes after a possible sale? Is there a chance that it could wind up improving under a new regime? Or do you believe the UFC will deteriorate over time in the post Zufa era? Well, these are a lot of questions that are making a lot of assumptions. Some, by the way, are quite fair others are a little bit uh, too advanced at this moment in time. So we don't really know. If you read the ESPN report, it sounded like there were four suitors, again, a couple from China. Um, um, these are large investment groups, in some cases, hedge funds um, that are looking to get into the game, according to this report. And some have, uh, in the variety of their larger portfolios and investment portfolios, some are, um, have um, sports properties, at least in some cases, minority, but full-out Majority ownership, depending on the circumstance, either it's a Chinese super team, super league team, or in the case of Atletico Madrid, I think it's a 20% share that the uh, Wanda Group bought. In any case, um, so let's start with one question first. What do you make of it? Well, I didn't know what to make of it yesterday. Um, but hearing Dana White's comments today, and this is very speculative, so let's be very clear about that. What he basically said was, uh, we're not for sale. You know, if someone has $4 billion, we can talk, but we're not for sale. Then he was asked, well, what about a minority partial sale? He didn't deny that uh, at all, in fact. I mean, he was categorical before, and then he switched that. Um, And the two things he said to me that caught my attention were, one, you know, look, we're trying to expand, we're trying to grow. Those are his words. Places like China, Japan, Korea, you know, East Asia. And um, what he said was... You know, one if they did a uh, if he were to get out of the business just to sell, it's because he wouldn't want to do it anymore. And he was saying he loves this job, he loves getting out of uh, out of bed to to go work, loves the sport, loves it, loves everything about it. Like it didn't sound to me like he was ready to be done. So even if there were a full sale, and Jonathan Snowden of Bleacher Report has said on Twitter that in the cases of at least one of the suitors. Dana white staying on board was a sticking point. but what it sounds to me is and again this is speculative um, this is a partial sale similar to the flash entertainment sale. Now you'll recall that changed the ownership structure of the UFC. Flash owns ten percent. Dana white went from ten percent to nine percent if I recall and the Fertitta brothers went from like forty five percent to forty point five percent so that would be four and a half four and a half and one right so that'd be that'd be your 10. Um, who knows how much each would be giving up at this point. Uh, would they be buying out Flash? Uh, Flash cannot sell on their own to another third party, so uh, it would have to be uh, the controlling partners who would have a say there, although Flash has more say than Dana White, but you get the idea. But that's what, sort of what it sounded like to me. You know, If they're looking to expand and they didn't deny the partial sale and he said he was not interested, like he still loved doing the work and that if the frutitas got out, Dana wouldn't stay, that if one got out, they would kind of all get out together. Sounds to me like they still have a lot of work left to do that they they want to accomplish. And if you look back at the original Flash Entertainment sale, part of what it aimed to do was get them into the Middle East, uh, India, and China. Um, and certainly there may have been some progress on all three fronts, either from television deals signed, um, In the case of you know, the Ultimate Fighter China holding a few events in Macau, um, There's been some progress, but it feels like, to me, it's been very, very limited, uh, at least as it relates to China. And India, I don't know what the state is with that. Uh, There's been a growing development of the sport there. WWE has a big profile there. Again, I think the UFC does have... Oh, they signed that deal with Sony. Um, Sony has a television deal out there, and they they did that with theirs, I believe. And they're on the same channel as some of the larger cricket leagues uh, or the largest cricket league, whatever the case may be. so they have a better television deal in, in India. To what extent Flash facilitated that, um, I'm a little bit too zoomed out to really know. But um, it sounds to me like they really want to make a push into those markets with native players and people who have core competencies in those regions and that they currently lack that. And the best way to do that is to procure foreign investment of some kind via a partial sale. It does not sound like they're relinquishing control. So... um, maybe revels report is correct insofar as um the ufc would be willing to entertain a full sale but maybe the direction things are headed is a partial sale as they continue to push this forward that they're not really ready to cash out even if they were to cash out um sticking point or not i don't think the ufc the, the current regime there um for all their faults uh they obviously have done a pretty tremendous job with the organization I don't think they would sign it off to someone who they wouldn't trust to carry out the mission appropriately or they would sign off on a deal where they weren't retained at least for a short period of time a year two years or more um, as a kind of transition uh response team um that seems to me very much unlike them these are guys who realize that in the wrong hands the sport can really go south very quickly and you know if they were ready to be done with the sport maybe they would just wouldn't care at that point but i don't quite buy that i mean look People who are like, they don't care about the money, they just care about the sport. Mm, They care about the money too, which is fine. They're businessmen, like caring about money in some degree is like no crime, it's no sin. Um, You know, it just needs to be acknowledged in addition to competing interests about preserving the sport. And the two are aligned in some cases actually, right? Um, So that's sort of my hunch. So when you ask, uh, do you believe the UFC would face, pull this up here, drastic changes after a possible sale, Certainly, depending on the nature of the sale, that's possible. But again, my guess is either White or Fortuna would stay on for a little while. Um, or if they did sell someone, it would be under circumstances where the, the whoever took over would be handpicked by Zufa to st- you know, maintain steady, if not um, steady waters, but the wind at their back. Is there a chance they could wind up improving under a new regime? Sure, I think all kinds of creative energies can be introduced with the inclusion of new management uh, and executive leadership, which isn't to say the current executive leadership has failed in any capacity, or I mean, they failed, I'm sure in some capacity, but you know, they obviously, their overall record's pretty good. 2 million uh, investment, 44 in the whole, all the way to up to 4 billion. You're doing something right, but, um, but they've got their blind spots too. any kind of creative team is going to have their blind spots. And so to the extent that, um, you know, different leadership was introduced, sure, there could be all kinds of an upgrade. And they've made changes over the past year anyway, you know, um, with the introduction of USADA and the rebot kits, however controversial you may feel about that. Um, they scaled back Dana White's public presence, I think, for the betterment of the organization. Um, you know, he still has this major role as a president. We talked about that last week. His promotional roles have been scaled back rather significantly, but nevertheless, he still has other duties and, and the company hasn't suffered as a consequence of him scaling that back. Uh, which is reflective of how strong it is without him. I don't know that that was the case seven years ago, but it's certainly the case now. Uh, and do you believe the UFC will deteriorate over time in a post-Zufa era? It, look, eventually, you know, Zufa may retain control forever, but Dana White is mortal. He will he will not forever be in charge of this organization. Same goes for Lorenzo Fertitta. Um, The key for me is these guys, again, they realize that there's, people who know the five business and there are people who don't know the five business. I have a very hard time believing, even for a lucrative offer, that they would sell this to someone they knew would crash and burn. Now they don't know for sure that anyone's going to crash and burn, but they have a generally good sense about to what extent people have a knowledge of the market, um, the right kind of people on staff to push it in the right directions and have an understanding of what the resources can and cannot do, um, whether they would be able to retain existing staff like matchmakers. I have a very hard time believing they would just hand that off to the highest bidder and let it go. Could be wrong, but it just seems very anathema to who they are. Um, for as much as they may be businessmen, and they are, um, you know, they have worn the pride of MMA on their sleeve. It has been a big bone uh, of theirs to pick with the outside world that this was more than people realized it was. And I think that has been woven into the DNA of their identity, quite frankly, even if Lorenzo Vertito were to walk in as it was rumored purchase some kind of ownership stake in the Oakland Raiders. um, I think having his reputation being partly developed by the work done in mixed martial arts and what mixed martial arts means to his life. Again, I could be wrong, but that to me seems profoundly unlikely. By the way, the The group that seems to be leading the charge, just a little bit of some fact finding, because this is not an area of the world that I know a whole lot about. China's Wang Jianlin. This is the one that bought the 20% stake in Atletico Madrid. Um, He owns, let's see, he owns part of the US cinema chain AMC, the luxury British yacht maker Sunseeker. Um, You know, why did he purchase Atletico Madrid? Quote. Or purchase 20 percent this investment will not only provide a golden opportunity for young chinese players sent overseas by wanda that's the that's the investment group to be selected by leading european football clubs it will also strengthen the quality of chinese football and narrow the gap between the rest of the world you know to what extent they actually have a real talent partnership uh sharing program i question but nevertheless uh, who is this guy 60 year old is ranked chi- China's second richest man behind alibaba boss jack ma Alibaba is like the Chinese, it's something relatively equivalent to the Chinese Amazon. He's like Jeff Bezos, but more. Uh, He is worth, this is uh, Wang Xianlin, $13.2 billion. Uh, He's planning to open up amusement parks in China to rival the likes of Walt Disney and Universal Studios. He was reportedly in talks over a stake in the Hollywood studio behind the Hunger Games franchise, Lionsgate. Um, Atletico Madrid uh, is one of the top three clubs in La Liga. There's Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid, and uh, Barcelona, and, um, but because of the nature of the television revenue deal, only really Barca and Real have a ton of money, so it sort of made sense that they would sell, um, and I believe he has a stake in uh, other properties within China, the Chinese Super League, uh, for example, the Soccer League over there. Uh, by the way, this is also sort of an interesting note here. Six-year-old is a big football fan. Uh, that's soccer and owned one of China's most successful teams from 94 to 2000. There's been a growing trend of Asian billionaires buying into indebted or struggling European football clubs. Malaysian tycoon Vincent Tan owns Welsh club Cardiff City. Air Asia chief Tony Fernandez is a chairman on London's Queen Park Rangers, which is a garbage team. And Singaporean businessman Peter Lim owns a controlling stake in Spanish team Valencia, who's actually pretty good. Well, okay, anyway. Um, So there you go. So there's just some information about who the leading candidate might be. But just based on everything he said on the Dan Patrick Show, USC President Dana White, I, I, I guess we, we will see. You know, there's, there's no telling, really. But this, to me, feels very much like a partial sale. How much partial? Um, who knows? But we're going to find out. Keep in mind, that 20% purchase of Atletico Madrid, this is not like buying an NFL team. The 20% stake was only $52 million, 34 million pounds. I guess 45 million uh, euro. Um, that's not a lot. Right, and he, and you get you got one fifth of the ownership structure. Um, you're not going to get one fifth for uh, fifty two million. So, question about the share percentage is going to be interesting. Someone says, uh, "Am I crazy or the UFC worth much more than four billion dollars?" No, I think four billion is absolutely at the high end. I can't imagine it going for more than that. Someone says, that number is high. Wasn't it just over 1 billion not long ago? 4 billion sounds extremely exorbitant. Yeah, that's very, very much. Um, That might be their own internal numbers about their own estimated value. Someone says, factors that could suggest they're looking at selling so far in the threads. One, the Reebok deal. Two, drug policy. Three, money fights pumping up revenue. Four, the lawsuit. Five, the Ali Act. Luke, do you think these factors are good indicators to suggest a possible sale if not soon? the next five to 10 years is a high possibility. Well, yes and no. I mean, uh, some of these overlap with the interests of pursuing a sale, both short-term and long-term, um, or you know, partial sale, or even a full-on sale. So like, for example, let's take the Reebok policy. You know, Why did they institute it? One, I think they've always had a natural revulsion to the condom depots and the NASCARization. I think when they talk about those things as problems in the sport, they overextend the argument, but when they say, we don't like this, this this just rubs us the wrong way, I think that is actually true, like they're speaking um, candidly when they say that, so I think that was part of it, the other part is, you know, they felt like these guys were essentially selling advertising on their TV time uh, and just using themselves as the billboard, they weren't necessarily procuring real sponsorships and that that was their TV time to monetize, which we've talked about um, as well, so there's that, and I think three, like they were like, well, we don't make a dime off this. I think in the long term, they did expect to make a dime off this, if not one, in any future Reebok deal or any future apparel deal. I think they intended to draw revenue from it. Just like the television deal, the UFC signed with Fox. The fighters didn't see a dime of that. That's not the case in the NBA, I can assure you. The, fight, the, the players there get a big chunk of that. All their salaries are going to go up with that new um, television deal. So, so um, I suspect that with the next Reebok deal they or whatever, again, the next apparel deal, they do expect to make money. So you know the idea that, well, you know, all the money goes to the fighters. Mm, I mean, maybe now. Um, And you can also make the argument that for a long-term or even partial, you know, for a full on sale or a partial sale, you know, having attracted this kind of sponsor, however uh, difficult the initial uh, acclimatization process may have been, um, it makes sense for a sale. Did they do it to make a sale? I don't know if that, I buy that so much, but you know, I'm sure it certainly helps. You take the drug policy. Uh, yeah, look, instituting USADA um, definitely uh, helps with positive PR. It keeps, um, you know, it, 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 w- it, it certainly would uh, assuage any concerns from potential suitors about to what extent this product is based on um, improper or outright negligent testing. Yeah, that would be very attractive to them. Is that the only reason they did it? I actually think it's quite the opposite. Um, I think they did it when there was that period over the summer, you know, uh, concluding with Anderson Silva testing positive. I think they actually just got, and it's a very common response, actually. It's just a moral panic um, is what that was. There was this belief that everything was out of hand, and this was the only real method to, um, to combat what they saw as this Outrageous problem. Um, I think there is some truth to the problem um, that they had, you know, that they had sort of said they existed, that they had ascertained. And I think there's a lot of benefit USADA has done, but I think it's also, it also took place in a moral panic, which is why slowly but surely you're seeing some of these rules that have come out and some of the testing procedures, as good as they may be, are filled with all kinds of fault lines. You see, Frank Mir, uh, teaming up with two other baseball players who are claiming the exact same thing that he is claiming, which is we're testing positive for this particular steroid it has this longer complicated name. You have methyl, testosterone, something to that effect. Um, and all three don't have a single clue about how it got in their system. And you could say, well, the dog ate my homework. That's what that sounds like. Mm. Sounds like to me, When you, the more you inspect the testing processes, you see that there are all kinds of flaws and holes. The idea that it's better than athletic commission testing is like saying, well, you graduated from high school versus getting your GED in terms of a four-year track. That that doesn't necessarily make this out to be an excellent demonstration of uh, academic rigor. But in any case, um, so sure, there's PR benefits to that. The Ali Act stuff, um, I don't know. UFC is obviously not in favor of that, even though Bellator might be. John McCain told me personally that this is something he would favor as one of the original authors of the um, Muhammad Ali Boxing Reform Act. But that seems to be very speculative. I don't know there's any real support uh, for it in Congress or the Senate just yet. So I don't know that would be a reason to sell exactly. Um, and more to the point uh, about the lawsuit. I don't, I, I don't think they're very concerned about that at all. The more I read about that, the more I learn about that, the less I have hope for it, unfortunately. But anyway. All right, true-false. If Jones or Cormier gets injured, the UFC will be forced to negotiate with Connor and Diaz to reheadline the 200 card. Um, forced? No, false. The Fertitas ended up selling the UFC. The promotion, if the UFC, excuse me, if the Fertittas ended up selling the UFC, the promotion would be in danger of being mishandled by the wrong people. Yeah, that's true. But would that be true of any sale of anything, though? Overeem should get a title shot even if Kane beats Travis Brown in July. True. Some fans are naive in thinking that Mayweather versus McGregor would actually happen. Let me... Uh, I talked about this on my radio show, which I know some of you don't get because you don't get Sirius XM. Um. This has been bugging me for a while. Let me just... Let me just read this out so we all... And, and finally, Dana White said it, as a matter of fact. And I was so glad he did because... Um, Let me find this for you. This is from, this is standard in every Bellator contract. Let me go through this because this is absolutely killing me and I just can't take it anymore. This is right up there with, you know, I can't figure out which one is less. (laughs) Which should you listen to less? People who think Dominic Cruz's return from three years of injury layoff is the baseline of performance or people who think mcgregor's actually going to fight mayweather i do not know um let's stop this conversation before it starts well it's already started i suppose let's stop it here in its tracks shall we inserted into every zufa contract every zufa contract is the following clause clause 3.5 during the term zufa shall have the exclusive right to promote all of fighters bouts and fighters shall not participate in or render his services as a professional fighter or in any other capacity to any other mixed martial art, martial art, boxing, professional wrestling or any other fighting competition or exhibition except as otherwise expressly permitted by this agreement. Let's go through this real quickly. Mayweather can't fight uh, McGregor, at least I should say McGregor can't fight Mayweather because it's in his contract that he can't. The only way he could was if there was a particular carve-out clause that mentioned Mayweather by name or if the UFC decided to grant permission, as they do customarily for events like Metamoris, Polaris, um, or things like that. They also had to give Ronda Rousey approval to do um, um, Wrestlemania. These were expressly granted. And the reason why is because the chance of hurting any kind of particular bodily harm at WrestleMania seems very limited. The exposure is actually quite good for her and the UFC generally. Um, in metamoris, you're probably not gonna have anything happen to you that's any more different than what would happen in a training room or an aggressive session. Um, those guys roll with other elite black belts all the time. In fact, in some ways, it's a little bit more careful. I mean, maybe they'll hold a submission a little bit longer, but you get the idea. Uh, and so far, that, that, that thinking has proven quite well. I mean, name the last UFC fighter who had to pull out of a bout because they got injured in an IBJJF or Metamorris competition, right? I mean, these are fairly low-risk challenges, so they routinely grant that. So the only way that he could potentially fight was if the UFC agreed, which they're not going to uh, ever, or B, is if there's a particular carve-out. Because if you actually look at this contract in this particular term, term 3.5, what you wind up finding is that Bellator contracts have an almost identical clause. It's written slightly differently, but it says like, basically the same thing. Now, if you're in Bellator, you can go to Bellator Kickboxing, or maybe they might grant you the ability to go to Glory Kickboxing or have a separate kickboxing contract contingent upon certain requirements. But that's it. That, that's it. Like, for example, when um, Quinton Jackson signed with Bellator, he had a particular carve out that mentioned Roy Jones Jr. by name. If they wanted to exercise that possibility, they could. But it didn't give him the ability to go box generally. You recall when Anderson Silva wanted to go box Roy Jones Jr., what happened? Everyone said, well, he can't because the UFC won't let him. This is what they're talking about. This is precisely what they're talking about. It is in their contracts that they can't. And you might be saying, well, why didn't UFC bring this up before? Good question. I don't know. I was glad that Dana White had mentioned today on the Dan Patrick show that Conor McGregor has a contract. It is more than that, though. I think they're not bringing it up because this is the kind of contract clause that would be challenged should the Muhammad Ali Act be expanded to MMA. This kind of restrictive element. That's my, I don't know that's why they haven't brought it up, but that is my hunch. My hunch is that while I don't think perceive current momentum, such as it can be said around the Ali Act, um, is too too concerning for them. They don't want to usher it along. They just sort of want to talk in these generalities about the contract. And this was my larger point that I made on my, my SiriusXM show about mainstream media. I cannot believe, I cannot <laughs> believe that they have had discussions about this without bringing this up. Because could you imagine the first week, let's say, no, forget the first week, the fourth week of um, NFL next season. And someone says, ah, RG3, you know, the first three weeks he was the quarterback for the Browns. This week he wants to be the quarterback for the Redskins. The fans want to see it. Could that happen? Hey, you know, uh, um, Kendrick Golston was out there spreading rumors that, you know, they'd love to see it. You can love to see anything you want. I would love to see Falcor park outside my house so I could ride him around and have bullies jump into garbage cans I love the never-ending story. But what I want and what is contractually or realistically possible is not, are, these are two different universes. Can you imagine one of their NFL shows talking about this without one of their NFL experts or some contract experts interjecting and saying, uh, guys, you know there are contracts in the NFL and this is not how the process works. Like, you can change teams if you're not under contract or under these other conditions, but this is, like, this, we're talking about nothing is what we're doing here. We're talking about nothing. And they don't. And so to me, it was like, this is evidence of how poorly the mainstream media treats MMA when they don't even have the courtesy to their audience to explore what to me seems like a foundation of the discussion. What is true in the real world? what is actually possible. Here's what's actually possible. During the term of this contract, Zufa shall have the exclusive right to promote all of the fighter's bouts and fighters shall not participate in or render his services as a professional fighter or in any other capacity to any other mixed martial art, martial art, boxing, professional wrestling, or any other fighting competition or exhibit exhibition except as otherwise expressly permitted by this agreement. The only way Conor McGregor fights is if the UFC lets him or he has a particular carve out in his contract that identifies Mayweather by name, or if he's got if he's somehow a genius and somehow worked in the boxing uh contract, he could box whoever he wants generally, which I'm telling you doesn't exist. The the chance of that happening, I've got a greater chance of doing the backstroke on the water found in Mars. Possible, profoundly unlikely. And, and and you never see them discuss this. I don't understand this at all. So if you ever watch any show, <clears throat> look, I don't mind them talking about Mayweather versus McGregor to get a headline in and to, to boost their ratings. I'm talking about it now for crying out loud. That would be very hypocritical of me, but I'm at least talking to you like an adult. I'm at least talking to you on the terms that make sense here. I'm talking to you about what actually exists. So what? What does the real world say about this? Oh, here's what it says. There are contractual provisions that would make this um, highly, highly, highly unlikely. Now, I know the original question asked in this true-false uh, segment here on the show is not dealing with this specifically, but I just really want to make this known. I wanted to put this out to as big of an audience as I can. A number of you watch this, this live chat. This is the only. This is the beginning and the end of this conversation. Is the UFC going to let him? Clearly not. And B, does he have particular carve-outs in his contract that allow for that? I can't speak to that with any certainty, but I'm guessing based on every other fighter's contract ever in history, uh, the chances of that are zero or as close to, you know, 0.00001 at the end repeating or something, something like that. And that's it, that's the only part of this conversation you can have about Mayweather McGregor. And and the other part was like, well, the, the event's gonna take place in, in the summer in Las Vegas. <laughs> no, it's not, unless he has his particular um, carve-outs in his contract, which you know there would be more, I'm assuming there would be more advanced negotiations if this were actually any kind of reality. But more than that, um, the Nevada Athletic Commission can't sanction any kind of bout where someone is breaking contract to go through with this um, that that would hold them liable and who would want to who would want to advertise for such an event what venue would take that, that I mean, it, this is totally nonsensical this is totally nonsensical so to the extent you see anyone in the mainstream media you know talking about me with the mcgregor and they don't bring up clause 3.5 turn the channel All right. Having Rumble versus Teixeira as the co-main event to Holm versus Shevchenko is a bit bizarre. Yeah, we talked about that on the, on the um, MMA beat last week. That's certainly my... Bizarre is a strong word. Uh, unusual, but hey, at least it's the co-main. I mean, there's, there is a positive way to look at that. John Jones' performance over OSP indicates that his powerlifting regimen didn't improve his fighting abilities. I think you guys have asked this before, but... Um, I am not in a position to really answer that. Oh, and someone emailed me. I forgot to get back to them. Somebody emailed me about this, uh, who was a powerlifting coach. I'm gonna go through and find that, um, that email. Um, they made a point that it may not necessarily affect them, uh, but I, that's a little bit above my pay grade. Uh, let's see. We're seeing more jaw crank submissions than ever before. Maybe, maybe, as I mentioned earlier. Matt Brown's liver is very susceptible to punishment due to his past history of heroin abuse. Uh, I don't know to what extent that would limit him. Um, Certainly after a binge weekend, my liver, I could feel it a little bit, Um, but um, I don't know. I don't know about that. The rumor of Josh Thompson being knocked out in training by Aaron Pico is highly unlikely. Uh, No, I don't think that's unlikely at all fedor versus fabio maldonado is one of the saddest matchups you've ever heard of yeah yeah that's really pathetic actually is what that is uh good question and this i know people are going to get so bitter at me for this <clears throat> tanya avenger's post fight well, that's just what it says look what did you make of avenger's post fight antics after defending her title was it not a big deal in your mind or one of the most deplorable post-fight actions in mma history also had a guy done that in a regional promotion say on an access tv car would it cause a lot more controversy well in the end turns out that evinger and Lo- if you don't know what happened so i guess um she had previously puked but in any case Evenger wins and the post-fight interviewer for invicta is laura sanko uh evinger gave sanko a kiss on the lips and then that was that uh, and some people were like what the hell true if a man had done that um i think there had be there would be not that I think that um, gay women are somehow, um, that they don't get scrutiny for their decisions. I mean, they, they're a highly scrutinized group to a large degree unfairly. But but sure, I think your point is fair, that if a man had done that, there would be some outrageous calls, uh, or some outraged, I should say, calls for some kind of censure. And I, I don't know that I would be opposed to that. Now, it turns out that Senko and Everinger are friends, and Senko didn't care. And my rule is, if two friends... Um, you know, want I insult my guy friends all the time. Uh, now, kissing is not insulting, but I guess I just mean I don't try to police the individual relationships that people have. If evenger doesn't care and Senko doesn't care, I don't see any reason why I should care. Um, and if it were a man and then the other girl didn't care or vice versa, if it was a male interviewer and a female fighter um, and they're all legitimately cool with it, I, I, you know, I don't know that it's the best course of action, but I don't know that I, there's any reason for me to really stay up um, and worry too much about it. Um, someone says, Senko and Avenger have Kansas City roots. They're friends and have known each other a long time. Here's my hot take. Straight men complaining about this are actually just outraged that Tanya Avenger got to kiss Laura Senko and that they didn't. There is that. You know, I'll say this, and this is like, let me be very clear about this. I'm in no way making any kind of claim about... Um, um, This as a general practice among gay men generally. Uh, my wife has a friend; he's actually a friend of mine too, you know. Um, and I was actually at a party that was it the night of that fight. I think it was deny that fight. And he's a little handsy, you know, and he's particularly handsy with like women and uh, straight men because he's friendly. Like it doesn't bother me, you know, uh, that he's get, he gets a little handsy uh, when he when he drinks. Um, but I could see how it might offend other people, particularly if he did it to someone that they didn't know. And so, you know, as a general rule, gay, straight, uh, male or female, if you don't want to be touched, um, you have a right not to be. And um, in this particular case, Sanko doesn't appear bothered by it. So I don't know why I should care. But um, I think that if there are you know, questions before that information have been established, I don't think that that's so wrong. Again, again, I think if a man had done that, there would have been at least some questions asked. But, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. If you don't like being touched and uh, you have certain parameters about that, then that has to be respected no matter the circumstance or the gender or the sexual orientation. And I think that's pretty fair. Someone says, you know damn well if Ronda Rousey or Misha Tate had kissed Laura Sanko as a joke, you'd be totally fine with it, not me talking to the other person. And probably would talk about how hot it looked. I'm sure there's plenty of um hypocrisy to go around this position were people really i mean i wasn't there on saturday night were people really that outraged i don't know uh, okay alistair Overeen in version 3.0 Look, what do you make of the latest version of Overeem that beat Arlovsky and JDS? Overeem version 2.0 had about 20 pounds more muscle and had power to ragdoll fighters. He was then busted by the commission and slowly morphed into Overeem version 3.0, which is a 244-pound version. He seems to have finally found his place in his new body and actually looks like a real contender. What are the biggest changes that he's done in the cage since 2011 when he was a 260-pound monster? Well, if you go back and you watch his K1 bouts, I think those are the most instructive because even with the bigger gloves providing better defense, um, he was much more willing to like, I mean, he was still careful and precise, but he was much more willing to move forward and stalk. And what you see now is A, he's lighter, so he's more mobile. um, And B, his defensive responsibility has, or his attentiveness to defensive responsibility has gone up through the roof. He's much more selective with his shots. He's much more, um, you know, he pays much more attention to range and fires weapons from those ranges to keep himself safe and to keep his opponent guessing. He uses guile now and timing in ways he didn't before. There was a little bit more of just forward marauding. Again, not crazy in that way, but just a little bit of it. He would do a little bit of that, and it would eventually cost him, especially in, that, in the K1K uh, ring, which, of course, was four right angles, which would make things a little bit difficult for him. Um, so yeah, um, I just feel like he's he just takes the idea that he can't take punishment. Even if, even if you don't want to say his chin is bad, it's a heavyweight division, right? Like, it doesn't take much for someone to hurt you. And so to the extent you can stay on the outside, come in when you want to on your terms, stay out of trouble, keep people guessing because you have such tremendous ability, uh, switching stances all the time, um, again, we went over this a little bit in the Monday morning analyst, um, you know, really being deadly from that Southpaw position, great footwork. He uses a lot of, um, of, uh, eyesight attack where he'll look down and then, and then come up or he'll look down and then throw something you're not expecting to get you to look down or whatever the case, like he's, he's just got a lot of clever weapons that are finally being used in ways that are more responsible, uh, because he's more responsible. Um, and I, I feel like that's the difference. So he's not as heavy set. And heavyset and I don't mean fat. Obviously, he was super muscular, but he's not as heavy. He's much more mobile, and he's just much more careful. But the truth of the matter is, like, he's still putting people away, even being careful, because it turns out he doesn't need a lot of chances to land on you to do it very effectively. He just needs a few openings, and bam. And he put out Dos Santos in round two. He put out Orlovsky in round two. Um, he's obviously done a, a, a tremendous – let me look at his last – I think he's of his last four, if I'm not mistaken, right? Something like that. Yeah, Stephen Struve knocked out in the first. Roy Nelson, okay, he took Roy Nelson the distance, but you get the idea. And then Dos Santos in the second round, and then Arlovsky in the second round. Um, Pretty impressive, if you ask me. Over under one, as in Luke Thomas will watch one episode of the Ultimate Fighter of the season. I watched the very first one, and I haven't watched one since. Someone says, it's honestly been a decent season so far. Not great, but solid. The fights have been all right. One blowout, one brawl, blah, 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 blah. And while I hate how Joanna has come off, or Joanna, I'm glad people are starting to appreciate Claudia. I'm sad that Khalil is out, but I'm glad he's still getting airtime. The makeup thing was odd, but it was still unique, right? Looking forward to tonight's episode. Like I said, man, y'all want to watch it, I can't take it off Fox Sports 1. But, I mean, (laughs) I had to watch reruns of the Jersey Shore before I watched Ultimate Fighter at this point. Uh, One problem with the UFC 200 card. Luke, I believe we all have weird feelings about the 200 card, right? And to me, it's not about McGregor's absence. I was thinking about the card and made a little research on it so far we have 11 announced fights counting dillashaw versus aslan Sal, and 11 fighters are coming from losses aldo kane hendrix gastelum lazan northcutt marine dillashaw gomi miller and zingano plus musasi is coming off that boring fight against Lightes, and brown have the eye poke ko against mitrion okay even with good big names i believe the big problem here is that this may be the worst moment possible to make these fights. Nobody wants to see Hendricks versus Gastelum now, for instance. Do you agree? Um Well, I, I think you would find it. Okay, so let's take, let's take UFC Fight Night 88, shall we? Just as an example. This is the card later this month headlined by Thomas Almeida and Cody Garbrandt. Now, in that main event, both guys are coming off of wins, of course, because it's a spectacular thing. And so are John Jones and Daniel Cormier. So that would be the same. So then you've got Hennenborough versus Jeremy Stevens, all right? In Jeremy Stevens' last bout, he fought and lost to Max Holloway. Hennenborough, as you may well know, moving up to featherweight, has lost his last bout to TJ Dillashaw. Then you have Tarek Safadine and Rick Story. Rick Story's last bout he has two wins in a row, Gunnar Nelson and Leonardo Mafra. Then you've got Tarek Safadine. I believe he's coming off a win as well. I could be wrong. Yep, Jake Ellenberger. And yeah, before that, a loss to Rory McDonald. No shame there. Chris Camozzi and Vitor Miranda. Vitor Miranda is tearing people up. Um, and then you have Chris Camozzi. Now, he may have a win in his last... You got two wins in a row. Interesting, both in the UFC. Tom Watson and Joe Riggs. I forgot about that Tom Watson win. Jorge Masvidal, I believe, is coming off that loss to Benson Henderson. Yep. And Lorenz Larkin is also coming off a loss. Let's see. To Albert Tumanov. And you got Josh Berkman. He's coming off that loss, I believe, right? Oh, he won against KJ Noon. Sorry, he looked bad, though. And then you got Paul Felder, who's coming off the win of Cruxshank. McMahon's coming off of a loss, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, two of them in a row, as a matter of fact. Three of the last four. And just so is Jessica I, I believe, to Misha Tate, right? Yep. No, it's Juliana Pena. Gee, she lost after that. I forgot about that. You can go on and on. Like, the fact that these guys are coming off of losses in that UFC 200 car, to me, is not particularly remarkable there might be a few more of them than normal but um i just believe i mean look, look at the names you're mentioning hot prospects um respected veterans championship caliber fighters top contenders uh, i'm not saying these are all the best possible permutations that one could potentially create but they're good enough to essentially pass muster i look if you don't want to see Gastelum versus Hendricks now okay I'm, i don't think that's the most interesting fight in the world either but I, from a this card is more than the sum of its parts and when you put them all together it has a general quality to it that to me is you know you can nitpick here or there certainly i don't i don't say that every fight is perfect under every circumstance but there's nothing that that stands out to me that is inordinately bad other than if you wanted mcgregor on the card and you took his side in the labor dispute short of that i don't know i can't see much wrong with it really uh, okay, Carlos Condit and gi training. The recent post by Carlos Condit saying that he's begun training in the gi, would, trans, would training in the gi be advantageous to his MMA skills even though there is no gi in MMA fighting? Any insight on this if it be make him a better MMA fighter? I think it'll make him a better grappler and by such a better MMA fighter, but like you gotta be, you know, having managed expectations, right? Like how much better could he realistically get? I mean, if you read the post he put up about that, he said he's been grappling half of his life. You know, it's, he's he's a skilled grappler right he's he's really good and he's going to get good in the gi very very quickly because he already has so many other skills you know the gripping is going to be grip breaking is going to be really really hard to adjust to at first you know even if you're let's say you're in someone's full guard you know what are you going to do you're going to have two hands on the hip maybe one hand on the chest one hand on the hip and rather than them just trying to collar tie and overhook your arm and push your arms off your chest or your hips and then collar tie They're going to start, you know, they're going to start weaving it in for cross chokes, um, and they can get it if you don't automatically start great, you know, breaking grips. And and the gi game, I've told you guys before, it's the same way in judo too. The guy, the person who dominates the grips, the person who's first with the gripping, they're going to win the majority of the time. All other things being relatively equal, like if you have someone who's really good and is terrible at gripping, um, and then someone who's like okay but very good at gripping. I would side with the person who's going to grip because they're just going to have a lot more uh, weapons to access than than you are because they'll just give up positions because again oh i'm in your full guard and you're not defending my grips you'll see what well, happens to white belts all the time they'll be on top let's say they're going to takedown and they get on top someone pulls full guard or someone just pulls full guard on them and they'll start to try to pass they'll do this bit where they put the elbows inside the knees which never works on anyone good and um and the other person will just start feeding in that lapel and the, the back of the hand goes to where the, the tag is, back here. So they'll feed all the way in, although it'll be this way, they'll feed it all the way in and they won't challenge it. Elbow to the sternum, all the way around, bring your elbow, bring your elbows uh, basically to your lats and uh, and they will go to sleep. I've seen it done a million times and by the time they start to address it, it's way too late. Once you've even got one hand in there, They don't need to do much on the other side. They can just either grip on here and they can go across. You don't need much, and they won't fight that firsthand. Like, it takes a while to get adjusted to that. Now, you might be asking for MMA skills. What does that matter? I generally feel like the people who have a a background in the gi or at least some proficiency in the gi, um... You know, they have, just have a certain type of different body awareness, a different kind of balance in different positions. They've got uh, they, their mind is much more attuned to different kinds of possibilities. It just makes you have to play the game under different conditions. you're know, Running on the street versus running in the snow, what does that do for you? Well, that's a very imperfect analogy, of course, but um, maybe it does help your cardio for that kind of excuse. Maybe it does help you work on. Um, flexibility and, and um, impact on joints or whatever the case may be for those kinds of things. You know, again, I don't know that it will revolutionize his game. His game is probably already pretty advanced, but it will make it better. It will open his mind to certain different possibilities. It'll probably improve his grip strength, actually, uh, a lot. You know, um, getting your getting a strong grip takes time. Um, so that could potentially be beneficial. And it might make his gi a little bit, or his guard game a little bit more sophisticated. I've already liked his guard game because he's one of the few guys who throws up submissions and sweeps constantly. He's constantly keeping you off balance. I think this can only help. Um, and it'll just give him a different respect for jiu-jitsu. Remember, jiu-jitsu is first a gi game. It is after that a no-gi game. Um, which doesn't say you can't get good at jiu-jitsu just doing no gi. But it is, it is derived as a gi game as a you know and and there is self-defense applications as a consequence and i feel like once you learn those kinds of fundamentals and foundations a it'll make you better at self-defense not that he really needs that but you get the idea of the average person but more than that i just think it opens up the creative process um, and helps your balance and attentiveness to positions Um, you know there's certain passes you be you can get away with for example like a knee cut pass you might be able to get away with that in the gi because there are or no gi, excuse me, because everything is so slippery and it's a little bit easier to slip out. You may not be able to get away with that in, in the gi game. And so you have to find other ways to finish it that um, are a little more technical and rely a little bit less on speed and brute force. The gi game is a little, oh, excuse me, the no gi game is quicker. And it's a little bit more athletic. Um, the, the gi game is, is, it can be quick too, but it's a little bit slower. And it's a little bit more technical and adding the, another degree of technical uh, achievement to it, um, I think can only help. I'm sure Eddie Bravo would probably disagree. Uh, he knows more about Jiu-Jitsu, or he's forgotten more than I know, but I, I, I tend to believe that these things can really be true. And uh, Joe Lazan made a great point about the gi as well. He was saying, you know, he was working on his omoplata, platas, no gi, and you know, they were going, that was coming along, but they weren't where he wanted to be. So he put on the gi and the gi allowed him to slow down and build towards a better omoplata. So that when he finally really felt very comfortable with the omoplata in the gi, he dropped it, went to nogi, and his omoplata was there like he needed it. Like it, it was almost like he was able to, because you can't just yank out of things. It enabled him to slowly build his omoplata game, um, almost like training wheels in that regard, which it would have been much more difficult with the slipperiness of nogi. So, um, so just something to think about. Yeah, someone says, regarding John Jones's powerlifting, have you heard the Jackson's Corner audio? I hate to say it, but I told you so. Yeah, of course I've heard that, but uh, everyone's heard that. But um, I've heard from a number of powerlifting coaches that they take issue with that. But, who? I, you know, I, I don't know. How do UFC matchmakers arrange bouts? UFC matchmaker picks two fighters who are at the same level or ranking and call them and ask, do you want to fight this guy? Can one of them say no to that? Yes, they can. If yes, on what ground? They don't need a ground. Uh, What if nobody wants to fight a certain fighter because he's very difficult to beat? They'll find someone eventually. And if that fighter gets no fight for a long period of time because of that, what happens to the fighter who gets no fight? They are contracted to get a fight eventually. I mean, look, they may have to go and dig into the well, but this is not not like Golovkin or Triple G where no one wants to fight him. In the MMA, you still see a lot of guys. For example, Matt Brown. Matt Brown fights this weekend against Demian Mayer. I've talked about this ad nauseum. Literally took the bout because he thought it'd be a terrible matchup for him. You still get a lot of that i mean you get you run into guys over time that are a little bit challenges i'm sure i'm sure you'll see matchmakers could pull their hair out over it but it's relative to boxing they don't face nearly the same kinds of things but yeah i mean i don't know the exact process because matchmakers don't don't talk to anyone about their methodology but Um, look, they have a calendar of events. They have needs for the division, to the title, to the contenders. They've got guys ranked in certain positions. They've got guys available by certain dates. I think they just try under all those conditions to put together the best permutations that they can. True or false? UFC 198, that's this weekend, does under 500,000 buys. I actually think this is true um but i could be wrong it's close i'll put it that way Overeem gets the next title shot should be true i don't know canelo does not fight triple g next unfortunately i hate to say true but i think it is true canelo versus con did under five hundred thousand pay pay-per-view buys i think it probably did more than that so i'll say false if the ufc was sold it would not go for more than three billion it's tough watch well, right at that limit Someone says, poor old Rigondeaux suffers from this in boxing. Exactly. And Rigondo suffers from that not merely because he's so good, but because he's so boring and has no name. Like, it's one thing if you lose to Mayweather. Wow, you're in a Mayweather fight. You're probably going to get a decent purse. It's another thing to fight old Guillermo Gijo Rigondo, where you're not going to get anything but, but an L. See, someone says, I miss Barbas. Not a collection. I just miss seeing that hairy beast making cameos on the show. Here we go. Bye bye. Come here. Come here. Stupido. Come here. Come say hi. They miss you. All right. There it is. <laughs> There's the old buddy. What's up, man? So there you see him. He just woke up. UFC 198, Verdum versus Miocic. Who are you favoring in the heavyweight championship, Verdum or Miocic? Man, this is a tough call, tougher than I thought. I guess I'm going to lean Verdum because I feel like he has more ways to win um, on one level. And then the other level is uh, I feel like he doesn't get hit accidentally nearly as much as he used to. He used to be a bit of a goof in terms of the kind of punishment he would take. He would almost rely on his chin a little bit, and I think that almost cost him, for example, in lead XC against uh bigfoot silva but um he's much more again responsible with that kind of thing now playing at range he can play on the inside too but um but you know miocic is has excellent takedown defense and um hits incredibly hard and is quick and durable as hell like it would not at all surprise me for miocic to win it really wouldn't women's mma where is the guy who said a woman the women's fights were boring and less technical hope they watched Double K versus Clark this past weekend. Someone says, I'm right here, and never said they were boring. Pretty sure he did. Said so they were less interesting because of the much lower skill level and physical ability. All right, I wouldn't be too upset with that. Uh, does Dana denying the possible sale of the UFC really mean anything, or could it just be a smokescreen to protect bidding or even induce more of it? Yes. Um, in this particular case, it's it's not merely that he issued a denial. It's that he's gone on bigger shows and issued denials. That, to me, indicates there's probably a little something. To, let me put him back down. Say goodbye, buddy. Manos arriba. <laughs> um, that, to me, indicates that there's probably a little something to it. Had it just been like, well, he tells Carmichael Dave or Kevin Ioli, or something, you know, just you know, decline response or just said, you not for sale. That'd be one thing. But he actually went out and, and talked about it in a more explanatory way. And to me that's kind of indicative that there actually is probably something to the fact that it's not for sale in the way in which the espn report had written it but um you know look dana white has admitted to lying on the record a number of times you always have to take what he says as a um you know with caution and a grain of salt um there's you know he's from the from who appeared on the ultimate fighter to um god it was uh, john nash was posting his article where dana white admitted to, lying to TJ Dillashaw admitted lying to Uriah Faber and everything else. And maybe that's part of the occupational hazard. You know, maybe that's a consequence of what has to happen under his job responsibilities and the way in which he wants to conduct business. But, um, but yes, I think anytime he says anything, and that would go for any promoter, really. Uh, no, not any promoter, really. Any promoter, definitely, up to and including Scott Coker, you should take it with a grain of salt. Any chance Little Nog beats Cummins? Do you think he should retire if he does? I've always said when fighters who are past their prime, Big Nog, Bigfoot Bif- Silva, Chuck Liddell, and after beating um, Liddell after beating Vanderlei, blah, 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 get their wins in their home country, don't retire, then wind up eventually retiring after losing streaks. Um, well, if Little Nog wins, I don't know, but I don't expect him to, although it's possible he could box out Cummins if he's not careful. But if Cummins is careful and works on his takedowns, and I think he's got a pretty solid takedown – um Submission defense, he should be fine. But you know, it's by no means a dead giveaway. Could be kind of tough. Someone says <laughs> Latif God versus Krilov. I guess it's not pronounced Krilov; it's Krilov. Can the UFC finally book this fight, or do they still need the fans? They won't be able to handle the sheer awesome that will take place during such a Titanic matchup. I'd be in favor of it. Why not? True or false. There will be doping speculation after Brazil. I mean, it's doping speculation before, but I can't wait to see the weigh-ins when all of the um, so-and-so in the post-USADA era looks like X and Y come out. You will talk about McGregor next week also. I'm sure I will. Overeem will retire as the champ. False. Misha beats Ronda next time. I'm going to say false now, but there is a part of me that thinks she might. Gunny fights for the title in three, two, one fights. No, false. Um, What is this? (laughs) Someone made a Falcor gift. GIF. Excuse me, GIF. I'm going to retweet that. That's awesome. I just retweeted it. That's so great. Um, Maya will never get his shot at the belt. Well, he already had one, recall, um, at welterweight. Hmm. I'll say false. BJ Penn retires again if his next opponent beats him. Unfortunately, I'm going to say false to that. Killing me. Hey, Luke, why don't the UFC release footage of their fights once they are over? I know Americans pay for pay-per-view, but in the aftermath of a big card, I think it makes the UFC look really bad, in my opinion, because in every other sport, people can watch the big moments right after they happen, and I think it makes MMA look per- petty, to be honest. Um, once the card is over, it does it no good to keep it from casual interest, and while Fight passes here now... They have kept their footage under lock for years. Well, it's because of the, the the revenue model. So, for example, who got knocked out this past week on Saturday? Kamir Khan, ugh, Kamir Khan. Amir Khan got knocked out with one punch in the sixth round, a blistering right hand from Canelo Alvarez. One shot, and Amir Khan did that bit, what I call testifying in church, where when they fall, the hands fly up because they're so unconscious, the whole body flails. That's the testifying in church bit. Um, when that aired on ESPN, the news segment about Canelo versus Khan, they didn't show it either. They showed, they showed pictures of him on the canvas and that was it. It's because it's pay-per-view and it turns out there is enough of an audience of people that will purchase a pay-per-view after the fact to warrant not releasing that footage. Um, until such a time they eventually released it. So for example, when Ronda Rousey fights again, they're going to show footage of home, head kicking her. Um, this will happen because at, at this point, no one's going to buy footage to see that. Um, but, but that's that's why. So it's not merely UFC. It's anyone really in the pay per view space. I don't know to what extent ESPN airs WWE WrestleMania highlights. Um, maybe they're part of it too. But I guess anyone in that pay per view space that's at least in real sports. do you think the UFC has been planning the sale of the UFC? Planning, I don't know. But entertaining offers, it sounds like at least 2010. Which is the biggest relief? I thought it'd be good. Silva pulling out from his fight with Uriah Hall or Seaver pulling out against Penn? Both of those fights had the potential to turn out very depressing. Well, I'll say um, Seaver because Silva appears to have legitimate medical illness. And so we wish him the best in a speedy recovery, so I'm not going to like, oh, thank God. So, you know what I mean? I'm not going to say that. Um But, you know, the problem with Seaver and Penn is, like, Seaver was actually a pretty good opponent for a returning Penn, and now I don't know who they're going to give him, man. So, well, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do with PJ Penn, man. I don't know. you think the increasing, quote-unquote, fun fights... That the ufc makes are good or bad so can you estimate a mixing ratio between sport and entertainment where it can truly be like major sports federation soccer football hand egg you mean real football <laughs> is this so-called fun fights a bad thing if you really think about it damage entertainment etc. should it be a pure sport profile in the case of matchmaking well i mean it's hard to say because the entire thing is on a matchmaking model right so even in a matchmaking model um and two there's a, a deserved fight Between two contenders, that still might be made for other entertainment purposes. Um, So, you know, I guess you went to the Bellator model. That would really be the only way to adjudicate, um, or you know, evaluate that kind of answer. And even then, the seating would affect that. I mean, look, I think in every in every one of these, there's some element of entertainment to it, even if it is in even if it can be entirely justified strictly on sporting criteria. the introduction of entertainment as a reason for making a fight uh doesn't make it uh, bad in many ways it enhances it even with even if it overtakes to some extent some of the sporting relevancy but uh it's only when that gets out of hand or becomes disproportionate either in the fight itself the card itself uh, or the organization's ethos and uh, you know again we're going to quibble here and there i mean i don't think cm punk really has any that that to me really crosses the lines because we have a common standard of excellence in the UFC for the most part, really. It's v- almost never do we go below it. And this is a case where we're going extraordinarily below it. And we're doing it not merely because we have some reason to put two amateurs on or two guys with who are, you know, early level pros in their career, but because one of them has the ability to sell pay-per-views um, from a crossover audience. I mean, that to me is... There's not this. This is a, a real contest, but a real contest for what grounds? Were we trying to figure out who's the best at fighting in this division? No, we're just we're just wasting everyone's time because donks who like tables, ladders, and chairs think this is a potentially worthwhile use of their time. Cyborg at minus seventeen hundred favorite. Jesus, is she really? Let's look at the best fight odds. True yeah it is god under five dimes she's as low as 1100 under pinnacle she's 1800 under over bet online god damn uh poor old leslie smith um presuming cyborg wins what the hell does she do next will she always be a bridesmaid and never a bride? have we gone over there? there's a million people that are gonna feed her They'll, they'll, trust me, they will find someone for Old Cyborg. I am not too worried. So this is an interesting question, and I didn't see where he said this, so I I have to table this until, oh, God, did I bring the book? You know what I'm going to do? Hold on. I meant to bring it up. Side note, I got asked this question a million times over the week. Somebody asked me what that judo book was that I mentioned had just like this variation upon variation of arm bars, okay, and I mentioned it like we talked about Ronda Rousey and how her game is all, you know, the takedown into the arm bar is all essentially kind of one offensive chain of attack. It's all connected, and, um, you know, there's more submissions in jiu-jitsu, and there's a lot of arm bar varieties, but like the The way in which everything is tied together, and the variety of arm bars—strictly that arm bar—in judo is significantly higher. I mean, in jujitsu, you have time to set up all different kinds of lapel chokes and everything. In judo, you get right away, and so attacking an arm is something you can really focus on and develop. The book is called the Jujigatami Encyclopedia. I'm going to tweet it out right now at SBN Luke Thomas. Um, This is the Judo Jujigatami book. I talked about on last week's chat, hashtag chat wrappers. There you go. The Jujigatami encyclopedia. You can get it on amazon.com. It retails for, not cheap, 35 bucks. If you're really interested in all the ways in which you can explore the armbar position, from attacking positions, from mobile positions, from dynamic um takedowns the jujigatami encyclopedia is what you want to pay attention to trust all right that out of the way gunner nelson hand wraps luke can you share your thoughts on gunner nelson's recent comments about not using hand wraps is this something that you would advise outside of the obvious risks for gunner what are some of the other benefits of not using hand wraps someone said he didn't use it during fights but that can't be right because they make you do that Like, you have to get them not only wrapped, the commission has to sign the wrap to approve of it. Um, You can't decline those. So I don't know how he does that. Um, If someone's got the link, please send it to me because I don't know how it's possible. I mean, maybe he doesn't wrap his hands himself. He doesn't wrap his hands in training. Maybe that's what he means. I'm not sure, but you can't compete without them being wrapped uh, on some level in some kind of sanctioned way. Look, I heard in the U.S. it is illegal for independent contractors to either strike or form a union. To the best of your knowledge, is this true? Yes. If so, that would mean the fighters would have, the, have to be appropriately classified as employees before they could any talk of an association or union. No, I think uh, for a union, yes. For a trade association, I'm not sure. Well, that might have to do with the classification of the, of the UFC versus Monopoly versus not. If so, what would be the fighters' best course of action? They'd have to get reclassified in court. Most people agree that fighters are clearly treated like employees and paid like contractors. Yeah, I think that's true at this point. <laughs> would you rather have an hour-long conversation with Skip Bayless and Colin Coward regarding McGregor-Mayweather boxing match Will be related to Subo by blood? I would, believe it or not, I would... Phew, Jesus, I don't even want to answer that one. Uh, fighter and fight critic after the Luke Thomas show, okay? Hey, Luke, are you more reluctant to criticize fighters' careers and fights after the birth of your serious XM radio show? I may be wrong, but it seems to me that you praise and compliment fighters you wouldn't have a year ago. I don't know. You have to give me an example of such. Maybe I am. Uh, not intentional. Maybe I'm getting soft in my old age. I don't know. It's certainly not intentional. I don't think that's true, but you're the listener. You got to tell me. All right, it's 2.15. Let's go to the Twitter machine if we can. Hell, how often do you take Dana at his word, and how much do you relate to the common skepticism among MMA hardcores? Um, I don't know if there's a percentage, I just try to. I mean, I'm certainly very skeptical, but you know, not like, um, I don't believe anything he says, you know, we just have to be very careful and independently confirm things yeah, I mean, I'm generally skeptical. Do you see any connections between the success that point fighting has had in MMA and the success that Roy Jones Jr. had against traditional boxers, moving explosion? Um, That's a very difficult question to answer without having to look at chances some tape. I I do think that the point fighters have talked to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson about it and MVP about it, and both basically believe that... um, a lot of the reason why a lot of the guys from point fighting haven't gotten over is because there was this skepticism that it would work and that they're sort of proof that it could. And they, they, he was even doubtful that it could. Um, but then once he sort of began to feel it out for himself, he realized, wow, there's actually a lot you can do with this. Um, as it relates to Roy Jones Jr. Who, you know, wasn't moving like those guys, but still, you know, respect. I mean, he, yeah. I mean, the fact that like, for example, Roy Jones Jr. would uh, surrender someone having an outside lead foot on him on an opposite stance, he would give them, and then he would just be first on the cross. Sure, to that extent, but that's not exactly the same thing as what the point karate guys are doing. Do you think the UFC going public with their revenue for the first time is related to any sale negotiations? Um, They didn't really go public with it, right? They made a public statement, but unless that's verified by facts, it's like people on, you know, I get emails from people all the time being like, I'm a brown belt in jujitsu or, you know, um, I deadlift 450 pounds. Like you can just write whatever you want in an email. It doesn't mean anything to me. So they said it publicly, but we don't, we don't really know. Will Ronda Rousey ever be champ again? I'll say maybe. And will Conor McGregor ever become a two division champ in the UFC? Not anytime soon, but maybe. Your thoughts on Angela Lee versus Yamaguchi, May Yamaguchi. How good is Angela considering her young age? Good, has a lot to work on. If you haven't seen this fight, uh, it took place in one championship. Angela Lee versus May Yamaguchi. This fight was insane. Um, Back and forth, round over round, over round, over round. Uh, uh, A spirited performance from both ladies. It's actually a lot of fun. Free somewhere on the internet. Check it out. I suppose I'll answer this one. Could Mayweather McGregor be bigger than Mayweather Pacquiao and will it ever happen? I would bet that it never happens. Could it be bigger than Mayweather Pacquiao? No, but it could be big. Which was the bigger disaster, the Never Ending Story 3 Escape from Fantasia? Is that a real thing? Or Kimbo versus Dada? Well, I don't know if anyone really died in Never Ending Story 3 Escape from Fantasia, but someone almost died in Kimbo versus Dada 5000, so I'll go with that. So I'm making fun of my pink shirt, of course. Why do you think MMA is still illegal in France? Um, Because the power that be the powers that be haven't made it legal because they haven't had pressure to. Someone says uh, MMA fighting Dana White if Floyd Mayweather wants to fight Conor McGregor. He should call me. Yeah, exactly. Because he's under contract. Again, it's not impossible for the fight to happen. It's just extraordinarily unlikely. Who would you pick as a replacement for Seaver? Um, I'm thinking Alex Caseras. That seems like a terrible idea. Not I don't mean to be mean to your idea. I apologize for that, but um, Caceres would not. He's too small and wait and there's still some upside to his career. Is Tim Kennedy too outspoken to get a fight in the, at the UFC? Um, certainly seems that way. I don't know. Is it really true Gunner cannot get his hands wrapped? If it is, that's a revelatory for me, man, because I was under the impression that that was a requirement of competition. Maybe not. Maybe he gets a thin wrapping. I don't know. Is it legal that the UFC claim ownership over their fighters while classifying them as independent contractors? Do they really claim ownership? I don't think that they do. Could new owners cancel the Reebok deal? I'm sure the Reebok deal has clauses for both parties to be able to terminate it, but uh, I'm assuming the conditions are um, pretty narrow and the consequences rather severe. Why do many media outlets report on things like Mayweather McGregor without checking in to see if it's plausible? Because they don't take MMA or combat sports very seriously. They don't really know much about combat sports. And um, they I'm not going to say they have a disdain for it, but they don't take it seriously enough. They would never have a conversation like that in any other sport. Never, 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 never. I mean, they had experts talking about the decals that Bryce Harper was putting on his bats. And they don't they don't have anybody, and of course they do in Brett Akamoto, but they don't have anybody at ESPN that can that can do that for for this conversation. <laughs> it's just a, it's just shockingly negligent, you know. With Connor versus Nate targeted for 202, and Nick eligible to fight, then should they both book both Diaz Burrows, and who should Nick fight? Again, I'm not saying Nick has to fight Robbie Lawler right away, but y'all keep asking me. That's the only fight I really care about at this point. What are three changes you'd like to see with new ownership and three changes you don't want to see? Jeez, okay. Um, three changes. I think there could be some a different creative pushes for some of the promotional material. Uh, I'd like to see fewer events and um, shorter shows. I think a seven-hour show is absurd. That's just me. Um, three changes you don't want to see. Um, I would like to see the matchmakers kept on board. Um, Either Dana or Lorenzo, one of them staying on board, if it ever came to that, you know. Um, one of the two. And, oh, and changes. I think people like Josh Gross and Jonathan Snowden and uh, Loretta Hunt should be able to attend events again. I think their credentialing policy should change. Um, and, uh, one more that I would want to see or would not want to see. Um, I would not want to see any shows in Singapore for a while. I mean, that's not a strategic thing all that much, but you get the idea. Well, I'd be going to UFC Chicago highly unlikely, but maybe. Which fight on UFC 198 is the most overlooked one? All right, let's take a look. Most overlooked at UFC 198. I will say probably John Lineker versus Rob Font. That's an incredible fight, and it opens up the Fox Sports 1 portion of the card, so it's at 8 o'clock. That's a sick fight. That's a super sick fight. So, yeah, I like that one the most. In terms of being underrated. What do you think the pay-per-view numbers is going to be? I don't know. You know, it's still Wednesday. We'll see how we feel on Friday, but I think it'll be okay, um, but not great. Rockhold versus Kiesa grappling match. Oh, Rockhold would have his way with him. Rockhold's way too big for him. I've seen both in person. Rockhold was just way too big. And if not equally skilled, more so. No matter what happens, the Caps deserve a shout-out on Wednesday. Yeah, for <laughs> – cannot tell you how many people in this town said over and over and over again, no, 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 these Caps are different. This time it's different. The, I mean, I'm telling you, there were, there were articles all season long about this. And I think a lot of it just stemmed from the fact that they were a good third-period team, but they're not a good fourth-period. If you count OT as a fourth-period, they're not a good fourth-period team. Um, so not against the depends, but it was just another brutal, brutal loss, man. You know, I mean, are they better than the last team that won the president's trophy? Yeah, they are. Are they better than the team that, you know, had Mike green out there skating hungover? Yeah, sure. But you know, that is, that's, it's like, if you live in DC, the skins, the team is, has a racist name and the owner sucks by any measurement. The f- the field experience is a disaster. Um, it's impossible to get to. Like like FedEx Field is a nightmare. Then you've got the Nats, and they're okay, but I'm not the biggest baseball guy. Bryce Harper's cool or whatever. But then you got the Wizards. John Wall is a legit All Star. The rest of that team is just booty. And then you got the Caps. The Caps are like real good, and the and the game experience is really good too. It's the best if, for anyone who ever wants to come to D.C. If you want to go to a, a sports game and the caps are playing and they're in town that's the one you want to go to It's by far by far the best in-game experience for a a viewer and then you know and then the organization is run the right way and they just they have have a good process as such but what do you want to say there's the return of cody mckenzie with mayhem miller this is old that's old all right so i shall skip that Let's go back. and Answer a few more of these if we can. Bill Davis versus King Mo. How do you see this one playing out? Ways to victory for either fighter. Uh, I think King Mo might be able to stuff the takedowns and outstrike him on the feet. I think King Moe is alive. What are the odds for that one? Actually, I don't know. If, I don't know if I can say he's a dog. Oh, they have no ads for. Or they have no odds for. Well, I don't know what the odds are. But in any case. Um, I feel like Lawal, if he's being overlooked here, and he might be, is a live dog completely. You know, maybe maybe Davis wrestles him to the ground, but I have a hard time seeing that. Very hard time. Not saying he couldn't get a few takedowns, just saying, you know, consistently apply that to him. Let's see. Is boxing back? No, but there's an important fight that people want to see in Canelo versus Triple G. The question is, is it going to happen? And Khan's not going to fight Kell Brook, so there's that. Is Bobby Lashley only fighting Indian casinos to avoid drug tests? Well, he fought in St. Louis last time, so no. Uh, Who should replace Seaver and fight BJ Penn? Max Holloway, maybe. Uh, I'm actually having Max Holloway on my show uh, today. When is I think he's got a fight book? Does he not? I'm so sick. It's been raining for 15 straight days here, driving me nuts. Jeremy Stephen, yeah, facing Ricardo Lamas at UFC 199. Um, part of me would rather see that fight, and I think Lamas. Excuse me, I think Holloway would beat Penn. I would f- very much favor Holloway to win that fight. So. Um, I don't know if that's the best one. I mean, it, it, this is supposed to be a tune-up fight for BJ. That's not who you want to give him. Luke, love the chat, but do you think it's possible to somehow sort the questions so similar questions can be viewed in the same thread? Or someone says in one screen you have the comments and questions and then you have Luke scrolling through so we can see him answer the other one. Yeah, I would love to do that, but um, that requires technology that I do not have mastery of. If you have suggestions on how to achieve such a thing, I am all ears. Thomas at So Someone says rules on, f- asked about rules on female groin-, groin strikes. Same for men. There's Donald Trump eating a taco bowl. Uh, Luke, do you still cover or watch Glory Kickboxing? I do not. Someone says, I'm excited for the Schilling versus Marcus Simon Marcus rematch. I think that's Friday, is it not? Good luck to old Joe. Why is Zufa never interviewed by the MMA media anymore? Dana or Lorenzo, that is. Why? Only Megan Levy and other members of the party. You only can interview that which you have access to. Um... Not sure if you heard that Dana White appearance on Dan Patrick show today, but producer Paul Paps made a comment about White turning down a lot of MMA media requests in favor of national platforms like theirs, mainly because they could spend some UFC 98 promotion into the company sales mix. Although they could do that if they came on my show. I mean, I get how the game works, but okay. With you shining a light in previous weeks on Ronda Rousey and Conor McGregor deferring to interviews with non-indigenous MMA media, was this trend with major UFC stars inevitable? To some extent it is. I mean, they, they only have a limited time each day if they have bigger outlets requesting than smaller outlets, so they're just going to go with what they have time for. And do you think it hurts the perception and understanding of these athletes by them avoiding being interviewed by those who know their industry best? Absolutely. You know, you're going to get, and I made this point in my uh, in my roundtable with uh, Richard Deitch for MMA media members. You know, everyone was like, oh, is Rhonda Ronda Rousey. She's so media friendly. I'm like, mm, I don't think so. You know, she only talks to people who don't ask really difficult questions, which is absolutely her right. She doesn't have to talk to me. You know, I Maybe mean, if I was in her position, I'd do the exact same thing. But the point being is over time, if you just follow what she does in those media outlets, you get a very, very, very sanitized version of who she is. All right. With that said, I have to go. Uh, I want to thank everyone for watching. We are on uh, podcast, iTunes.com slash promotional practice, SoundCloud.com slash the Luke Thomas. The Luke Thomas Show airs SiriusXM XM 93, 4 p.m., so it's an hour and a half. Give that a look, and uh, until next time, Donk Donkersons and Rick Rickersons, stay frosty.